This is Creative Banter. We're back with Ben in this episode, starting off by discussing human psychology when it comes to amusement park lines and high school fights. This leads to a short discussion on the current state of bullying in schools and how it has continued to change in drastic manners. We speak on my new website and ebook, as well as how we organize our photo galleries, expanding on the discussion had with Murray the previous week. Finally, we answer a few questions from listeners on the Discord about fountain pens and how design principles help in the crafting of strong compositions. Let's dive right into it, shall we? This doesn't feel like spring though. Like we're at, I think it's like 90 degrees outside today. Oh, wow. I didn't realize yeah. you would have temperatures like that this time of year. That's crazy. We're not supposed to. Like looking at my weather app right now, it's been in like the mid to high 80s all week. I'm jealous of that. I, that's like my favorite temperature range. I'm, I'm like a lizard. When it gets warm outside, I get more active versus... I just don't like it yeah. because it's like... We get the humidity right alongside of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's, so it, that's it's definitely not, not a great thing. <laughs> it's not like it's a nice weather or a nice warmth. It's like overbearing. Yeah. And it's really bad when like, so like my college, they don't have the capability or the infrastructure to switch from heat to AC mm-hmm. like real quick on a whim um, without like blowing up the school. <laughs> so... They sent out an email and they're like, due to the heat wave, please dress up, like appropriately for the unexpected amounts of warmth within the school district or within the school, knowing that uh, we can't change this stuff. Like, there's nothing we can do about it. Huh. So, it's it's just overbearing right now. Like, like I said, it's like 88 degrees outside today wow. in the second week of April. And then next week, it's dropping down to like the 60s. Wow. So, I don't know. It's I'm good with warm weather during months when I expect it. But yeah. Yeah, no. I would rather not deal with this right now. Yeah. My uh my wife and I uh we went to Disneyland and to California Adventure on it was on Monday and Tuesday and then we're recording this on a Thursday. So, um it was I mean the weather was fantastic when we were there. It was it was really nice. I, when it got to be, I don't know, one, two o'clock in the afternoon, it started getting a little warm if you're kind of out in the sun, but, but it, was, it was really nice. Um, but originally, we were going to be going there back in February, but that's the exact same time that there was this big uh, winter storm that was going through that resulted in like some snow falling in very small amounts in, in Disneyland. So we were able to have the, um, the, the nice weather this time around. Um, so that was, it was, it was fun. And, and actually while, I, while we were there, um, one of the rides we did was, have, have you, have you been to Disneyland by the way? I've been to the Florida one. So what is that? Disney world? Well, here there's, there's Disneyland and there's California adventure. And one of the attractions at California adventure, it's a uh, cars theme from Pixar. And, and it's, it's really fascinating because they have the whole area set up with like it looks like you're in Utah with all the like the sandstone and stuff. And 
Um, it's just, it's amazing what kind of details they put into it. And you can tell that they were legitimately studying like pictures of areas in Utah because like the color palettes they used for all the various layers of sandstone, the textures, and they even um, painted on um, some areas of, of lichen. And when you get close to it, you see that it's painted on. But if you're even like a couple of feet away from it, like you look at that, and it looks legitimately like something in, in Utah. And we, we'd been on that one last time was in, I think, 2016. But it was, it was kind of fun going there and just looking at all the details. And, and also the reason we had so much time to look at is because the, the ride broke down. So it was, you know, we're, we're in line a long time. But uh, <laughs> yeah. it just, it's, it's so cool what they're able to do there and just to, uh, to make everything such a uh, very immersive environment. Yeah, like I said, I've never been over over to that one and the last time that i was at down in florida for disney world was i was in third grade so it goes goes back a little ways yeah a little bit yeah um yeah i mean i don't remember much about that i mean like the the um the elevator there's the some elevator ride oh, tower of terror, terror is what it was which yeah. that has been rebranded as uh, guardians of the galaxy now which is which is really well done they have that one in in california adventure as well okay yeah so, yeah. so i remember that one and then obviously like the the castle the princess castle or whatever and then going to breakfast with some of the characters yeah where they had some of the characters walking around but other than that i don't remember much about it and i don't necessarily care to go back yeah well it's uh, yeah especially because in florida you got the uh the heat and humidity which is uh just just as you were as you were talking about earlier um which thankfully we don't have as much of that here in in southern california there there is one ride though i don't know if if does uh i don't know if they have pirates of the caribbean in the one in florida or if you even remember that but there was yeah i don't remember there was one time when we're going to go on that. And the way that the line works on that one, uh, there's like this sort of, uh, you go underneath this little passenger bridge, passenger bridge, pedestrian bridge. <laughs> you go underneath <laughs> this pedestrian bridge and then there's, there's two lines. One goes to the right, one goes to the left. They kind of wind around, they kind of loop around and then they all go into the same entrance into the building that's above. And when we're walking past it, uh, you look down and you see that one side, uh, like the left side has a line there, but the right side is wide open. So you're like, all right, well, they just only have half of it open right now, uh, just because there wasn't a big crowd at the time. But as we were walking into it, we saw people walking in both lines. And at a certain point, they were only going to the left. They weren't going to the right. And to get to the left, they're kind of like walking next to this little narrow gap between a trash can and the chain, but no one was mm -hmm. going to the right. And it was, it was like a, it was a fascinating look at human psychology because everyone was simply following each other, even though they were clearly going a way that was not intended. And no one was thinking to themselves, well, why don't we just go to the right? Yeah. And so we just looked at it and we're like, why are all these people just like cutting through this area next to this trash can to go to the left? And we're like, well, the right's open too. Let's go to the right. And then we just walked basically all the way to the very front of that right line and got on the ride in probably less than a minute. And then everyone followed us. <laughs> so it, it was just, it reminded me a little bit of how there is this effect on social media where everyone is 
doing so much of well they're paying attention to what everyone else is doing they want to kind of follow the crowd and this and that yet they're not doing the simple things such as i don't know thinking for themselves maybe being observant all that sort of stuff so i think there's a little life lesson in in that experience to be observant to think for yourself and uh to not follow the crowd because sometimes it just leads to a really long line you see a lot of that at the uh the high school that i'm that i'm student teaching at like today we just had a um there was like a fight or a scuffle or whatever you want to call it i don't i didn't pay attention to it cuz i didn't go out into the hallway but down the hall from the classroom there was one and you just had like a 5 minute delay from kids trying to get to class but couldn't and then because you had like the the whole hallway was filled with kids that were like not participating in the fight cuz realistically it was probably like two kids yeah but they were all like I want to get a video kind of thing. And like the the culture within this school of like fights and video is crazy because like you have, you have this, um, this one student that came in cause there was a fight yesterday and there's a fight every day somewhere in the school. Cause it's just the environment. Yeah. But one student was like, came into class super irritated because she couldn't get a good video of the fight. <laughs> oh my gosh. And then, like, whenever there is a fight, it's obviously, like, posted among, like, Instagram or social media or whatever. And, like, if it's if it's what's deemed as, like, a good fight, it's shared, like, throughout the class, like, within the class. Like, they're, con- they're constantly talking about it. That's and insane. And just, like, right alongside the lines of, like, following along with the crowd of, like, even kids that you wouldn't expect them to be interested in a fight that is ultimately meaningless they're like so engrossed with it it's just fascinating to see that's i'm so glad that none of that existed back when i went to high school um yeah there i mean there there weren't cell phones in in the same way there you know no no video nothing of that sort of stuff and man that's i i would i would not want to be going through school right now as a kid it just i don't know it just it seems it was so much simpler back then I mean, my mom even said that back when I was going through high school and I was like getting bullied here and there, uh, her biggest thing was like, it wasn't as big of a deal to get bullied at school as it is today. Yeah. Like back when she was at school, because like you would go to school, okay, you kept your head down, you get bullied, whatever, but at least you could get away from it the second that you're outside of school. Yeah. Like at, at most, the kids would like follow you home or whatever, but even then that was rare. But now it's like, most of it isn't even true, like fights or fist fights or uh, bullying in any kind of verbal confrontation. Most of it is just online harassment and online bullying, like cyberbullying. Oh, man. And it's just like, yeah, for the school that I'm at, yeah, there's physical fights. But for most other schools, like the one that I attended, there, it was like a lot of just online harassment. Like there was some physical stuff and then to add on to that you couldn't escape it because you come home you think that you were okay you'd hop onto instagram to see some funny cat videos and it'd be like nope you get bullied instead yeah and it's just when when, and also when people are just using that for like fuel for their own uh you know causes for their own popularity and all that kind of stuff or it's yeah man that's that's just 
that's that's a that's a curse on society right there that's that's not good yeah i mean it's rough but uh it trains them for the real world unfortunately <laughs> yeah i guess same so. thing goes on on a uh on a larger scale <laughs> yeah same thing goes on if you want a youtube channel yeah well exactly <laughs> unless you make really boring videos that trolls don't even bother watching which is kind of my yeah. expertise <laughs> yeah there you go that's that's the trick make really boring videos no clickbait no clickbait titles yeah. don't do any kind of ad revenue because that way youtube won't push your videos at all yeah and yeah. they, they'll never find them that's 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 my secret i'm sticking to it yeah that's that's one way to go about yeah. it but uh in other words brighten things up a little bit maybe my uh my new website launched oh nice yeah i did that uh I kind of was forced to do it, but nonetheless, it's done um, this past weekend. So, new website is officially live. Cool. I'm checking it out right now. Its, with all of its fun mishaps or glory, whatever you want to call it. It's, uh, it's still got some work to be done to it. Some things here and there, um, SEO things that I might want to add in and stuff like that just to help out a little. But um, for the most part, I'm okay with it. Cool. Yeah, I see the uh, the podcast link there, the newsletter, yep. the about, your articles. Very cool. Yeah, I'm still not sure how I want to do my galleries. Like right now, I have them in um, really three separate uh, pages, gallery pages, and then obviously a, a gallery page for more recent work. Mm -hmm. But I was talking in what would be last week's episode which I recorded this past Monday and timelines are weird right now, yeah. but <laughs> episode 48, I talked with Murray Livingston. Oh, cool. And um, we were talking a little bit about like how you organize galleries and everything and portfolios and such. And I was thinking about like how I could organize these things because he asked how I ultimately came to it. And really, it was just a matter of like what fit together best but trying to like distinguish between my gallery arboreal wonders versus intimate landscapes mm -hmm. when they're both technically intimate yeah there, and, like, there's a lot of slight... shared common ground between them exactly and so i'm like i'm in between like i like what simon baxter does with his where it's just a single gallery and it's just his 36 photographs in that but then you have the issue of like well now that's just 36 photographs that you have on your page that you're being judged by. Yeah. And like you're not really showing a very uh, broad range of your skills and abilities. Um, but then you also have someone like uh, Alex Noriega. Mm -hmm. And I've really been enjoying Alex's site recently. He just released um, some new work too. Yes, he did. Uh, he, he lays things out in like a yearly basis. So it'll be like he has a personal favorites gallery. And then he has a gallery for each year going back to, I think, 2010 or something yeah. like that or 2013. And then within these galleries, he has it split up for each of the seasons. It's a really clean presentation, really simplistic. And so I'm just debating if I want to go more of that route or keep with like the separated galleries as like a thematic thing, even though I don't really work in themes that much. Yeah. Like there, there's pros and cons to each because like I don't work in themes that much or collections, um, but at the same time, doing it yearly is it enough to show like oh, I didn't photograph any this winter, but I'm photographed like 
four this summer and two in the fall and one in the spring. And here's my six photographs for the year. Yeah. And I mean, I, mean, I can definitely see advantages to the, like the, the, the year-based approach because also you can look back through that artist's work and you can get a feeling for the growth, the development, the changes, um, any sort of nuances in style and such that you're able to notice based on seeing that progression. Yeah, so I mean, that's, that's pretty good. It obviously, it gets to be a little bit more difficult when you may not have quite as many images to put in there. Um, I, my, my approach is have, has been to have them theme-based, but also to say the, um, the year that they were photographed in. So you get a little mm -hmm. bit of that sense. But I don't know, as I get more and more images, at some point, the system kind of falls short a little bit because I don't want the galleries to have too many images in them. And I find myself mostly just unpublishing some of the older ones I may not enjoy quite as much or maybe they just don't fit in quite as well. Um, so maybe there's some, some sort of solution I can find that offers some, some combination of them and I'm, I'm not quite sure what that is. I, I do know I need to, I was actually last night going through and um, adding the, the most recent image from my Death Valley trip. And I was putting it in one of the, uh, the categories. I think I was putting it in the small scenes. Um, but then I was looking at the one I have, which is, I, I just call it Calm Waters. It, there's only a handful of pictures in there. I'm like, I really need to just make that into something else because that's kind of like the weakest of the, the galleries I have on there. Mm -hmm. So maybe, maybe, maybe making it like an autumn themed or something like that, which I have a lot of. And that way I can split up some of the images that are in the, the trees uh, area. But yeah, it's, it's, always, it's always a uh, challenge to figure out how to, organize, how to organize the work, especially as the work evolves and changes through the years. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I mentioned it in the past episode, but I think your work would fit really well to organize it in like, kind of like Alex's, yeah. but to do it like, so for each year you have your trips and you have your trip breaks down, breakdowns. So even if that looks like you have a gallery for each year and then within that you have galleries for each trip and it's broken down like that, or if it's like you have one year and just like how Alex does it, you, instead of the seasons, you just have like Zion, yeah, winter Zion, and then going down through that. I think that's probably one of the best ways that you could do it. Yeah. At least that I can think of right now. And really just because, I mean, you're, you are known for your YouTube videos yeah. and working in that way. Associated with the trips so, I mean, and all that. Exactly. So, I mean, you could do, I could see you doing it like Alex and you have this you have a gallery for say 2023 and within that you have it broken down into um, even just little sections within one page with each uh, trip designated and then underneath that you could even have like a a link directly to your the playlist for those videos so if yeah. somebody stumbles upon your work through through uh, like organic search of you or whatever they can go and be like, oh, this guy has a YouTube channel and be able to see where those, where those images come from and go along that journey, I think would be a really great way of doing it. Yeah. And I do have a, um, a video journal archive page, which has links to all the, the playlists through the years. 
And I've had that one mostly just as a way to have a collection of this playlist. Because on, on YouTube itself, um, the playlists are kind of buried in there. It's, it's hard to have one page that shows everything. Um, but I also like the idea of when you go to a person's website to have them have the galleries, kind of like how I have them now where it's organized by theme. But mm-hmm. I feel like you need to have two, you know, coexisting systems for the galleries where if a person is not too familiar with the work, they can click on it based on theme and look at all the images, but maybe also have a secondary gallery, um, kind of like what you're mentioning, where it's organized by by year and then the trips within it. Um, I just don't think a gallery like that would display as well on the front page of a website. I think this person, a person browsing, they're like, oh, I feel like looking at some winter pictures. Here you go, you know, or, or stuff along those lines, which doesn't, doesn't involve too much thinking power. But maybe I should have a, a separate section that has, I, I guess, kind of like a, um, a collection of, of all the stuff. And, and that way I could also have the pictures, links to the videos, maybe a link to the unpolished series from that particular trip. Um, just to tie it all together. So that probably would be a smart move and sounds like a summer project for me. <laughs> yeah. It's funny you mentioned that though, that separation of like having one for collections or themes and one for like a year, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, TJ Thorne does that. Was it based on based on the year or based on the collection? Which Oh, this both, like both. everything? Yeah. Like yeah. If, you, if you go on to tjthornephotography.com slash gallery, mm-hmm. he has it... Uh, split so you can either view by collections and themes or you can view by photos by year yeah that's a smart way to go that's why it's good that we do this podcast because you know it, it, it it's a brainstorming <laughs> session for me i don't know about you how how it is for oh, you yeah. but it's a brainstorming absolutely. session for me yeah absolutely this is just selfish reasons yeah. this is just us talking each week and so we somehow have a bunch of people listening to it yeah. that keep coming back for whatever reason. Yeah. So. It, it, well, and also it's because of our conversations that I came up with the, the unpolished ebook series. And actually I had, a, um, a, another person, uh, had a suggestion about that series and they said, since you take the time to write the, the monologue for the start of each video series, you should just have like the, the, one of the first pages in the ebook should just be the text of the monologue. Mm, um, okay. just to kind of tie into it. I'm like, that's a really good idea. I mean, the work's already done. I just, you know, yeah, just type yeah. it in there. So I think everything when it integrates, I, I think makes it, um, makes it for a very, very unique experience to, to view the same sort of thing, but in different ways. Yeah. And speaking on eBooks and going back a little bit to the website launch, um, obviously I have a bunch of plans for my website going further with like we talked about weekly articles and everything probably starting up next week. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also launched my A Morning Walk Nord's Resort ebook. Oh, very so cool. That is out there for free. Uh, if you go onto my website, there's a little banner at the top. And if you scroll down to the footer as well, there's a little section for ebooks that you can download it. Um, yeah, so that's out there in the world. Awesome. That's another thing that I'm like, just have to get it out there and see what happens. I'm sure I'll update it here and there a little bit as I learn better things within Affinity Publisher and different software for making it nicer. But yeah, I figured I may as well go the free route with it and see what happens. Yeah. Doesn't hurt. Well, that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. All good stuff. 
I just now have to get into the nitty gritty work of uh, keeping up with my the podcast section because now that's organized as like a blog section instead. Makes things a little bit easier for people to go onto the page and see like the topic breaks downs and everything. And then um, make sure that I keep up with that. Make sure I keep up with writing essays each week yeah. for the rest of this year. And I'm going to be doing my newsletter as a monthly newsletter, changing things around quite a bit. I have plans in place that's seeing where they go. I'm not quite sure if they will formulate into anything fantastic like I hope they would, but we'll see. Yeah. And I think that's one of the great things about doing this sort of thing because you can kind of try a bunch of different avenues. And then as you're doing that, you figure out what works well, what doesn't work well, you learn from it. And I think it's just when you're just testing the boundaries and testing the edges and trying to, to figure all that out. Um, I, I think that's when, um, when things start to come together. So I think that'll, that'll be pretty cool. And, and it's awesome that you have your, your website up. Yeah. And I also have a, uh, donate button for the for the ebook in case anybody wants to donate like i don't know i think if we i think we have enough viewers or listeners on here that if everybody donates like 10 bucks i double check this price here i'd say like 10 bucks uh -huh. we'll do it if everybody donates 10 bucks i can buy myself the new leica m11 monochrome <laughs> that's now available today yeah um if everybody donates see what I need. So I need $15,000 for that plus a 50 mil lens that just came out. <laughs> so if we have like 600 viewers, my math is terrible. So I'm going to say like, if everybody donates $100, I'm good. Yeah. You're just... And then I've got it. Yes. Yeah. Then I'd be able to get that. So I will expect those donations coming in <laughs> in the coming weeks. I appreciate them. Um, and I will do absolutely nothing to get more of them. <laughs> it's just the ebook. You get a free ebook for $100. That sounds like a, a fantastic deal. <laughs> yes, I definitely. Yeah. No, but really this this M11 I've been waiting for like to see it come out and it looks really nice. Yeah, I, I saw the the news about that on DP review and oh yeah, yeah DP review. That's they, is Did they did they actually publish something on there cuz they're like shut down at this point? Uh, I think they were still keeping things a little bit updated in terms of, I, I get the feeling that there's something going on in the background in terms of. There, there's gotta be. So, because like they were supposed to yeah. shut down on the, the 10th of April yeah. was like their official shutdown date. And then they announced that, oh yeah, guys, we're going to have, we're officially like being archived. So it's going to be available. But then you go on and there's still, I mean, not Probably not as many as there used to be, but still posts. Yeah, as of seven hours ago, we're recording this. Yeah, but I mean, it seems like it's such a. I, I see how it's very easy for a company like Amazon to say, "Hey, this isn't the direction we want to go. We just want to kill it off." That's it. It's easier for them just to do that. But at the same point, it would seem like they're. It's in the best interest of all the various camera companies, you know, Canon, Nikon, Fuji, Sony, everyone that. A site like that exists, so it, it all it would seem like there is definitely a lot of demand, and I would not be surprised if something happens, something goes through, and and uh, they're able to to buy it off Amazon or just take it over or whatever. If Amazon's just happy enough to wipe their hands clean of it, yeah, especially because Amazon has their own like online server. In terms of like they have what is it 
AWS or something like that. Yeah. That's com- that's competes with um um WordPress as like some of the best servers for shit. So like I don't understand how like how much could it actually cost you to run DP review? Yeah. Well, and it's, just it's like Google, it they'll kind of do something for a while, then they'll just, you know, say, hey, it's not the direction we want to go right now. And they'll just, you know, just cut it off because I think it's very easy for them to do that. But but hopefully there's something going on because I've, I've always enjoyed DP review. Um, back when I used to work at the camera store, I would always check DP review each day just to see what was going on because people would certainly come in if there was some new camera announced or something like that. So. Um, yeah. So I guess we'll see what happens. Yeah. I mean, I know that a lot of places right now are either trying to archive it before the announcement that it is going to be archived. Um, there's also Photography Life just started up their forum. So they're trying to like at least not necessarily replace what was there, but give another option for people that are exiting from DP Review by no choice of their own. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean... It's, uh, I don't get it. I don't understand it, but it is what it is, I guess. Yeah. It's just unfortunate, but. Yeah. So do we have any, uh, any questions or topics or anything from, uh, from the uh, discord at all? Oh, we have plenty. Nice. We have plenty that we have not gotten around to. We're good at that. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, um, let's start off with this one from Calvin. He asks, have you guys ever considered using fountain pens? as in another analog hobby in your writing. He said that he's found them, found it to help his creativity by putting literal pen to paper. He was also asking, would you, you in particular, Ben, ever consider incorporating that into your work more generally, especially with your Unpolished series where you feature your handwritten notes? That's a good question. I've, I, I know people that are very... Um, they, they, they love fountain pens. They love all that. Um, I guess I've never really tried it. I've never really experienced it in order to fully understand why it is that people do enjoy it so much. So I've never, I've never really thought about it. I've never tried it, but, uh, I see how it could be a rather interesting experience when I'm in the field it's more so I just need to jot this stuff down quickly because I mean when I was in Death Valley there's times when like the wind was blowing and I'm like trying to hold down the page while like writing on it so the page isn't getting all like you know uh, whipped around in the wind Um, so in in some of those senses perhaps it might be a little bit more of a distraction but I can see if you're really trying to have the full experience I do see how that would perhaps be more um, more rewarding. I've, I have one, um, I have a fountain pen from, I think it's Lamy. It's a German company. Mm-hmm. Gotten it years and years and years ago. Um, I think my girlfriend got it for me for like a birthday or anniversary or something. Um, not the most expensive pen in the world. I know that fountain pens very easily go like thousands or hundreds of dollars. I, was using it quite a bit when I first got it and then kind of fell off from using it mm-hmm. just because it's it's a process just like with four by five yeah like it's so much easier for right now I'm doing notes for this episode and jotting down things as we go and I'm using just a pencil like a wooden pencil yeah um, I could definitely pull out the fountain pen and use that and it would probably be 
relatively easy, but then it's loading up the ink and it's a, a process of using it. Um, so, and I don't really do a lot of handwriting where it would be appropriate for me to use one. Like, I, it's not like I'm taking the fountain pen to school to yeah. write bathroom passes to the kids. Yeah. Like, it's not going to happen. Perhaps if I start handwriting my essays more, because I always like that that hand-to-mind connection that you get more when physically writing something rather than typing on a computer. Yeah, for sure. Um, that always seems to be helpful for as I'm working through ideas. But perhaps at that point, I think actually my sister picked up one for me from from this thrift store that's like a fancy looking knockoff one or something, mm-hmm. but I haven't touched that much. But I think it's the same thing as using like a typewriter too, or at least similar thing of using like analog technology for that. Yeah. So it's, it's one of those deals where there's, there's such a process around using it that it can be inhibitive or prohibitive of uh, getting the work done in a manner that you want to get it done. Yeah. I mean, I can see how if it's the sort of thing where, you know, throwing a record on a record player and it's all about kind of the, the experience and the, the ritual of it all. Um, and if a person is, is really just concentrating on their, their handwriting and want the, the, that, that experience of, of working with, I can see how that would be, would perhaps put one in a different mindset, but maybe it's something I should try at some point, but, um, I don't know. I think just using the old, uh, pilot g2 gel pen i use has been has been sufficient yeah like i said i'm either like number two wooden pencils lately um if i'm taking notes from books in my little journal i'll use just a mechanical pencil yeah and then for most of the time through school i'm just using with these little um these 207 uniball signos or whatever they are um i mean i know that there's a photographer i think he's actually working with michael strickland right now uh, David King wrote with fourth mm-hmm. and his, his handwriting, I've mentioned it before on the podcast, but it is beautiful handwriting. And I believe he uses a fountain pen for it, but again, process. Yeah, so for sure. All right. What else do we got? One of the more recent ones from Andrew, he's asking if Ben uses any, um, he says, I wonder which, if any design principles, Ben finds himself drawing upon from his career in graphic design. I'm sure these are now fully innate and may not be consciously used, but he may sense some aspects reappearing in his work. I think when it comes to graphic design, um, and I never, I never worked in it. I just went to school for it and then, um, then got the job at the camera store. But, but that being said, with all the graphic design stuff, it's all about organizing things in a um, order of importance in a pleasing way. Um, and that's really what it comes down to. I think it comes down to, to spacing. I mean, one of the things I love doing with graphic design was working with type. And if I had to do like a type only design, I would just love that. Um, and there's so much, so much creative stuff you can do with it. But a lot of that was just a matter of, of making sure that there weren't any, uh, like distractions and make sure that the eye went to what is supposed to it or at least what I thought was most important and to you know, from there to what's you know less important. But I think that's what it is. I think it's just a spatial awareness. I think it's it's colors. I think it's uh, textures. Um, but just generally, I think it comes down to the organization of 
uh, subjects within a composition. And I think that's one of the, the main things that, that I've at least see as a, a you know, a correlation between the two of those. Um, so that's, that's at least how I, how I see it that way. Yeah, I think that that spacing idea is definitely that I've picked up from you has been very, very helpful in my photography, um, especially working with a four by five, having that ground glass and using the first squares or first half squares around the ground glass as um, as spacers mm -hmm. for to let, to allow breathing room. That's certainly one of the best things that. I found you could do to make sure that you have a composition that doesn't give off a ton of tension and chaos unless you intend for it to. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the whole thing when things are purposeful. Um, and when you know the, the visual uh, tools in your arsenal in terms of conveying certain things with regard to the spacing, um, there was actually a, uh, I, was, I was going through some of my photos. I think it was from my fall trip. And I was noticing there were some very strong similarities between uh, quite a few of my compositions on that trip. And I finally narrowed it down to a compositional, um, it's, it's not a rule. I'm not going to say a rule because that, that makes it sound like the rule of thirds and that kind of thing. But like a, a, a way of composing things that I very much adhere to. And it's, so if you were to, to draw a rectangle representing the, uh, just the aspect ratio, so I'm doing a four by five, um, rather than drawing an X, you know, diagonally from corner to corner, if you were to have two lines that are offset a little bit, so they, they just miss the corner, and then you have them going the other way, it ends up being kind of like, a, kind of like the rule of thirds, but turned uh, 45 degrees, but where you have uh, four lines, two running diagonal each way, but just missing the corner, one a bit above, one a bit below. But I find that this sort of diagonal X that it creates is something that so many of my photos pertain to because I try to avoid having things going right to a corner. But I, I'll, I'm going to make a video at this at some point, maybe when I get back from my spring trip. But it was kind of interesting how so many of my compositions all fit within this exact same thing. And I think that is something that comes from, um, from all the design stuff I did in the past and just trying to minimize any sort of distractions. I don't know if any of that makes sense, but, uh, but I'll, I'll do a video on that at some point because it's one of those overarching themes I find among uh, so many of the images that I shoot. And I think it comes from the graphic design stuff. Yeah, that, that idea of things sticking in corners and coming out of corners was... I really first heard it um, at a workshop, the only workshop that I've ever gone to because mm -hmm. it was free for me. So, that helped. Yeah. Um, but one of the instructors went ahead and was discussing that that idea that, uh, again, of like tension that it brings into the scene, yeah. into the composition. Um, I'm not wanting things to just come out and appear from corners, even though it could be really like easy to take it if you're photographing a solo branch of a tree. To have it come out from that corner, um, yeah, it just because it, 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 it fits. It ends up just becoming. It attracts more attention to itself, which takes away from the rest of the composition. Um, and so it's it's one of those things where I think a lot of people uh, 
that's the solution that they find at first, but then you end up having like this foreground of some sort or whatever it is that's going right to the corner. And you just, it just, it sucks your eye right to that in a rather unsettling way. And it looks a bit contrived. Um, yeah. So there's all kinds of little, little tips like that. I also think it's funny though, like you mentioned, all of your photographs kind of follow a single general pattern yeah. looking at it like that. Yet you always hear, and I've heard Nick Carver talk about this a lot too, because uh, a lot of his compositions, he's centering his subjects quite a bit. Mm-hmm. But you always hear like, oh, it's so bad to be following the same ritual. It's so bad to <laughs> center your subjects all the time. And you're like, well, it's working for you. It's working for Nick. Like, yeah. It's, it, I, think it's a, I think it's more of a matter of, yes, understand the quote-unquote rules of composition, what makes a photograph pleasing to the eye and what works nicely for it and then learn what works for you yeah i mean like ultimately if your idea is just to create art that's self-expressive then who is to tell you that you need to follow those some specific rules that were made up and only existed because some mathematician decided so like at, at the end of the day you have to be happy with the work that you're making and if that means that you're centering your subjects all the time in every photograph, well, who cares? Like, Exactly. And I think it, it comes down to if you do things with purpose, that is more important than doing things just for the sake of doing that thing because of some, you know, odd numbered tips and tricks video that you happen to see on, on YouTube. Um, it's always odd numbers, by the way, it's never four tips and tricks. It's always five or seven, but, um, and there's always a bonus. Yeah, there's there, almost always a bonus tip of like, that's, Ooh, I gotcha. That's where they had the even number ones. Um, yeah, exactly. But like the, uh, but yeah, if you do things with purpose and if you know why you're doing something, and I think also if you can, while you're in the field, uh, spot a potential, um, issue with a composition and while in the field figure out what it takes in order to resolve that whether it's perhaps moving the camera a little bit to the left or right or up or down or whatever it takes to resolve that particular conflict i think that's when you achieve a different level of thought when it comes into the comp when it comes to the compositions which also leads to having basically no regrets after the fact. And you can, you don't have to crop something after the fact because you, you failed to notice something. Um, so I, I think that's also where it's, it's really nice when you have time to work that composition and troubleshoot it because there's nothing that's going to be perfect. There's no perfect composition. And, and I think that's also why I enjoy the process of composition because it is very much a negotiation and you just kind of, figure out the best solution but again it's when you do that with purpose i think that is um that it's a sign that you're you're growing very much as a photographer yeah couldn't have said it better myself i hope you enjoyed our creative banter you can learn more about cody's work by visiting his website codyschultz.com and you can find my work at benhorn.com For further discussion, join us at patreon.com slash creative banter. It's a place where we can interact with you, the listener. And although we greatly appreciate those who contribute by joining a tier, discussions are open to everyone, whether you're a paying member or not. Thanks so much for listening. 
and we'll see you around next time.